All right, all right. Let's jump into Mark chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 8. We're in our tethered series still. Uh, Last week we were out uh, serving and worshiping God through our service out in the streets. Um, But right now uh, we are jumping back into tethered. And we've been saying this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Somebody who is tethered to his side. Somebody who goes where he goes, follow his lead, and we've just, we've just been asking the question along the way. In Mark, how does Jesus show his disciples this is what discipleship looks like? And so we're going to jump into that again today. Um, last week, or, or two weeks ago actually, uh, we were together uh, and, and we were here and we saw how Jesus had such tender compassion for this guy who um, was blind. And we don't know if he was born blind or if he became blind. We just know that he was blind and he couldn't see. And Jesus just softly reaches over and he takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the village away from everybody else so tenderly. And then he spit on his eyes. Y'all remember that? And we said, we don't know why Jesus just keeps spitting on people to heal. But when he does, it works. And, And it just kind of blows us away and baffles us why he would do that. But this time, although it worked, it was a little bit different. Y'all remember that? It didn't happen right away. This was a progressive healing. And he said to the man, he said, can you see anything? And the man said, well, yeah, I see people. They're walking around, but they look like trees. And so what he was saying to Jesus was, I can see a little bit, but things are still just a little bit blurry for me as I look out and, and, and check out the surroundings. And so Jesus, he puts his hands on the man again, and his eyes this time are completely opened. And his vision now is perfect. 2020 vision. And some of y'all say, like, let me get that. Let me get that healing. I want to be able to see like this. But this was a progressive healing at this moment. And but yet, we're not done with this story. We kind of went past that story, but we're not done with the story yet because that story wasn't just about healing. Jesus was doing something spiritual in this, and he was teaching the disciples something. He was teaching you and me even something as we read it today. There's not, he's not done with it. Jesus is saying, right now, y'all can see a little bit, but things are still a little bit blurry for you. And I want you to be able to see spiritual things through my eyes. I want you to be able to see things the way that I see things. So like right now, you look, through, you look at things and you look through lenses that are through a human perspective, but I want to give, open up your eyes so that you're not blurry anymore, so that you can see things through the way that I see things. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving uh, through Kansas, uh, and it was just me in the car. I love driving through Kansas. It's actually one of my favorite states to drive through. I love driving through Kentucky, and I love driving through Kansas. I don't know why it's just those two, but I mean, I just, I just love it. And when I just get a little bit of wind, windshield time to just sit and to think and to drive, I, it is, is beautiful for me. And so I'm driving along, it's just me and the open road, and, and out of nowhere, as I'm driving, my peace gets interrupted because this huge bug just smacks my windshield. And it splatters all across uh, the front of the windshield, right in the middle of the glass where I'm looking. That's not the bug that was actually that I was driving through. I, I, I kind of pulled this one up. It was bigger than that, actually. And it was, uh, and did that ever happen to you? You're driving on the road, smack right in the middle of the deal. And so I'm driving on the road. I've got this bug in the middle of my windshield. And I do what you do when you're driving on the road and you got a bug on your windshield. You flick the wipers on and you smear it, right? 
And, and so, like, uh, I thought that it was going to help. I sprayed some water on there, but it actually made things worse. And so I'm driving down the road, and they got this huge mark right here, and I'm tilting to the side like this. And so I'm just rolling down the road, kind of got my lean on, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to look past the, the guts that are on the screen, and I can see a little bit, but I can't see everything the way that I want to see things. And so as I'm driving, I'm like, I just wish this thing wasn't here. I wish I could see more clearly. And so I was just begging and waiting to make it to a gas station. But, you know, you're out on some of these Kansas roads. It takes forever to make it to a gas station. So eventually I make it to a gas station, and right there along the, the, gas, the gas pump, there's a squeegee. And Jesus and I had a great moment of worship together when I saw the squeegee because I began to say, God, thank you for this squeegee. And so I wiped the windshield clean and I said, God, thank you. And then I wiped the windshield again until it was all gone. And I was just thanking God for the squeegee. I tell you that story to tell you this. In the ancient world, there were some bugs on the windshield that were keeping people from being able to see Jesus clearly. There were all kinds of perspectives and misconceptions about who Jesus was. And although the disciples, they'd seen Jesus do a lot of miracles up to this point. They'd seen miraculous things. They'd seen Jesus blow their mind. They'd seen healing. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him calm the storms by the, the command of his voice. They'd seen amazing things. These misconceptions, though, were still sitting in the back of their minds and beginning to smudge up their spiritual vision. And when, there are, when there's any type of confusion about Jesus, it really makes it difficult for us to really follow him into the places that he's going to ask us to go into. And so what Jesus is going to say here in this section, he's going to say, uh, you, you, can, you, can, you can see some things, but I want to clear up a few things so that nothing gets in the way of you being able to follow me. I want you to be able to see so clearly the things that I'm calling you into. I don't want you to be confused on anything. And so what we're going to see Jesus do in this little section is he's going to do some spiritual squeegee work, okay? Chapter 8, verse 27, here's what Mark has to say. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the other prophets. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples, they've left this area of Bethsaida that, they just did this, that Jesus just did this healing in, and now they're walking all the way to Caesarea Philippi. And if you're tracking on the map, that's about 25 miles away. And, and so they're taking a little bit of a road trip together here. And when you go on a road trip, how do you all prepare for a road trip? You get your playlist ready, right? You're ready to, to rock the radio, or you get, if you like, just love talking to people, like, man, I can't wait to get my husband or my wife or my kids in the car for the next eight hours because we are going to talk about everything that we've been waiting to talk about. So if you don't blast the radio and if you don't have conversation together, it's just eerily silent in the car, isn't it? So they've got 25 miles of walking on their feet together. They've got no radio. So there's going to be some great conversations that happen along these miles together. And Jesus, as they're walking, as you often see happen, he just throws out a question. He's like, I want to teach you guys something along the way. That's one of the things that Mark says uh, all throughout uh, the book of Mark. You're going to see him say, as they were on the way or as they were going along the way, it's this progressive movement that Jesus is teaching the disciples as they move, as he's going into Jerusalem to lay down his life and die. It's part of the process. And so as they're on the way to Caesarea Philippi, he asked them this question. Hey, guys, what are people saying about me? You've been out there. 
been hanging out with people. What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And you can almost kind of sense the disciples here being like, well, people are saying all kinds of different things about you. But do you really want to know? I mean, we'll tell you if you want to know, but are you asking because you really want to know? Because, Jesus, sometimes it's better just not to check the reviews. Sometimes it's better not to read the Yelp to see what people are saying. But if you really want to know, you know, I'll tell, I will tell you what you're saying. Because they've been out there. They've been out in the community. They've seen what's going on. Jesus, by this time, he's already sent them out several times to go out and share the good news of the gospel with people around in the villages. And so in some places they've gone, they've been accepted. And there have been other places that they've gone that they've been rejected. And the, their acceptance rate, whether they were accepted or rejected, was all based on how people viewed who Jesus was. Whether they thought that he was somebody special or whether they thought that he was maybe a fraud. If they thought that maybe Jesus could be something, they let him in to talk. If they thought that maybe he was a fraud, they rejected them. And so the acceptance rate on these guys is, is what people thought about Jesus. And so Mark says, okay, I'm going to give you three of the top reviews that people are saying out there. Some people say that you're John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist had already been killed by this time. Other people were saying, well, maybe he's Elijah, who by this time was already also dead. But it gives you a little bit of a window into what people thought about the resurrection, that it was possible that somebody could be raised from the dead. So whether he's John the Baptist or whether he's Elijah, there is this possibility. And then some people, they couldn't even put a name on it. They just said, well, we, we don't know. Maybe he's just another one of the prophets. But the common thread that runs through every single one of these is that all three that get listed are prophetic. They're, they're future looking. Um, and you've got John, who played a prophetic role. You have Elijah, who was a prophet. And then, of course, another one of the prophets is a prophet. And prophets... They've got a role to play, don't they? Prophets, they, their role is to point people to the Messiah, to get people ready for the Messiah when he's getting ready to come. They are not the Messiah. They're not the one that everybody's uh, looking for and expecting. They are to point to the one that everybody is expecting. So at this time, there are some thoughts about Jesus out there that are rolling around but none of them are accurate to, Jesus, to who Jesus actually is. At best, people thought that he was a prophet. At worst, people thought that he was a fraud. All kinds of misconceptions about who Jesus was. Some, some people, here are some of the common misconceptions. Obviously, some people thought he was a prophet, but there were others too. Some that thought that well, maybe he was just a carpenter. You remember we read about that? Um, some thought that maybe he's nobody special. He's just, just another guy. Some people thought that maybe he was possessed by demons, and maybe not just possessed by demons, maybe he was the, the ultimate demon himself, that he was, he was Satan. Um, there were all kinds of ideas that were floating out there about Jesus, but you know what nobody was saying? Nobody was saying, you know what, I think that's God. Nobody was saying, you know what, I think that's the Messiah that we've been waiting for. That is not something that was on anybody's lips at the time. Cultural misconceptions were having a heyday, and, but they're not just a thing of the past, right? And people still have different thoughts and ideas about who Jesus is right now that don't line up with what Scripture says. And I'm going to ask you guys this question. I want you to actually throw out some answers here. Who are people saying Jesus is today? What are some of the misconceptions that we're hearing about who Jesus is? Somebody be the first to throw one out. A, a, a good teacher? 
A myth? A myth? What are some other cultural misconceptions of who Jesus is? Just a carpenter? A liar? A fraud, right? Yeah, just, he's just making things up. This is your time where y'all get to talk. Put me on pause for a minute. A, a martyr? Laying his life down for somebody else? Okay. A good person? Just another good person? One, one more. A prophet. Still, people think that he's a prophet, right? And, and all kinds of different religions that get there. Like, Jesus has a part in the religion, but he is not the focal point. He is not the only son of God, the way, the truth, and the life. He's just another part of the story in other religions, right? Those misconceptions are what I would say are a lot of bugs on our windshields today, okay? And they're making it hard for us to see Jesus clearly, It's making it hard for other people, our culture, to be able to see Jesus clearly and to see what the truth is. And here's the problem. When there's confusion about who Jesus is, what we said earlier, it makes it really difficult to follow him in the places that he's going to ask us to go. Because if we're not dead set on who he is, if he asks us to go on a nine-month trip somewhere around the world, we're like, no, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. But if we are solid on who Jesus is, maybe we'll go where he wants us to go. Maybe we'll let him lead us in the places that might be uncomfortable for us, but we know that it's going to benefit the kingdom of God, and somehow he's going to use it to grow us and to stretch us along the way. So what Jesus is wanting wanting to know is, is where do you stand? I'm not concerned about everybody else. Not concerned about what they're doing and what they're saying. He's looking at these guys and saying, I'm looking at you. I want to know where you stand. And so he asked them in verse 29, who do you, with an emphasis on you, who do you say that I am? Have you all heard about groupthink? Uh, Groupthink is when a, a few people say something or do something, and everybody else just kind of goes along with it because maybe they don't want to rock the boat um, or uh, maybe because they're a little bit insecure with who they are, and they think if I have an opinion or an idea that it's not going to be accepted or it's been rejected in the past and nobody cares about what I think, that it doesn't really matter, and so I'm just not going to assert what I think um, that, that might, again, rock the boat. Um, or maybe, you know, this might be simplistic, uh, but maybe they just don't care, and, and they go along with just about anything. There's no moral compass or eth- ethical compass or spiritual compass that's pointing north for them, and so they just kind of ride out. If, if you want to get in a fight, hey, I'll, I'll join you. I'll come along with you. It's not my thing, but I'll do it because that's what you're doing. I remember when I was growing up, uh, I wanted to fit in with people so badly. Like, I, I was a chameleon. Um, if, you're, if you're doing that, then I'll do it too. Um, if that's what everybody else is doing, I'm going to do that too because I so desperately uh, wanted to fit in. I, I, I always went along with what everybody else said. I went along with everybody, what everybody else did. And what happened is I found myself in some pretty precarious situations because I had no voice of my own. I, and because of that, I never fully developed my own voice, never fully developed my own opinions and ideas. It was always what everybody else thought, what everybody else was doing. And we see this a, a lot in our culture today don't we? Um, But this was something that I was dealing with then, and uh, I still sometimes struggle with this, to have my own voice and to stand against the culture when the culture is so prevalently pushing a a certain agenda or idea. And and what happens is when we get caught up in groupthink, we can easily stay confused without even knowing 
that we're confused. And we see it in social media all the time. Everybody's fighting. And, and for some people, uh, for most people, when you peel back the layers of what they're fighting against, they don't even know what they're fighting for. They don't, like, they don't know. Like, I'm just out. Like, somebody said, raise my voice, so I'm going to raise my voice. Somebody said, jump in on this cause, so I'm going to jump in on this cause. But when you start peeling back the layers, like, I have no idea why I'm doing this. And, but we're just, we're just kind of doing it. And so what Jesus was doing here with the disciples, he was saying, you can have your own voice. You're allowed to have your own voice, a voice of your own. Everybody else may be saying, I'm a prophet. Some people might be saying, I'm a fraud. But you can have your own opinion. So who do you say that I am? In the middle of the cultural sway of what everybody else is saying, who do you say that I am? And I think this fits a little bit in our world today, too. You may be in a home where people are antagonistic to Jesus. You may be in a home where people are skeptical about Jesus or the gospel and about laying down your life and your money and your goals in order to pick up the goal of the kingdom. You may have a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife who makes it difficult for you to, to follow Jesus. But even in a a cultural set like that in your house, you can still have your own voice. You can still have your own opinion when it comes to who Jesus is. So who do you say Jesus is? Because how you answer that could change absolutely everything. It will change everything about your life. Here's how Peter answers that question in verse 29. He says, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Or you might have a text there that says, you are the Christ. The word Messiah or Christ there, it literally means anointed one. And not just uh, any anointed one, but this was a word that grappled, grappled, with, uh, grappled with the idea that this was the anointed king. The one who was going to come out of the line of David. is going to be part of that family who would eventually sit on the throne and they would restore Israel to the prominence that they once had. See, in the Jewish society, in the culture, they believed that the Messiah was going to come one day and he's going to overthrow whatever government was that was ruling at the time and that he would establish his kingdom and the kingdom of Israel and he would destroy any of the oppressors who got in the way. They expected that that kingdom was going to be on earth. It was going to be in their time. It wasn't going to be way down the road. It wasn't going to be a spiritual kingdom. This was a kingdom that was physically on earth. Nobody had in their mind at the time a heavenly kingdom. And so when Peter says, uh, calls Jesus the Messiah or the Christ, he's spot on. But what Peter means by the word and what Jesus means by the word, they're entirely different conclusions. What Jesus is working on is a spiritual kingdom. What Peter is talking about is an earthly kingdom. Jesus is talking about wooing the hearts of men so that he might bring them into the family of God and so he might secure them and so that he might be able to give them salvation so that he might be able to build the kingdom. What Peter is talking about is, Jesus, you come and you sit on your throne and you sit on it now and you overthrow the government that we're being oppressed by right now. Can you do that? And what Jesus is doing, again, he's clearing the windshield. He's helping them to be able to have clear vision so although Peter, he doesn't totally understand what he's saying. I don't think he totally understands what he's saying here. I think this is one of those stake-in-the-ground moments, though, for him. He's making a commitment to Jesus. saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I may not understand everything, but I'm going to follow you. His heart, he's all in. And Jesus can build on that faith. He can build on that confession. 
in one of the other gospels, this is a moment where Peter begins to be called the rock. Um, and on the confession of his faith, Jesus said he's going to build his church. On the confession that Jesus is who he says he is. And, and so if you're like, man, gosh, I, I, I feel like I don't understand everything. Or I don't feel like I understand anything. That's okay. Jesus, he can build on your commitment. He can build on top of your confession of faith. When you make a, a bold stand on Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're going to understand everything. It doesn't mean that you're going to have everything figured out um, right now. It just means that with all the cultural noise around you, that you're saying, I'm going to choose Jesus, that he is going to be the starting place and the foundation that I am going to build my life on. That's where my foundation is going to be. That's where I'm starting. Now, the next question that should be kind of coming up in our minds is, if he's the Messiah, what does it look like for us to follow him? Because if he is who he says he is, if he's the Messiah who's coming from the line of David, if he's the, the rightful heir to the throne, if this is the one who's going to bring salvation for all of his people, what does it look like to follow him? And I think this is maybe one of the biggest misconceptions that we have when it comes to faith in Jesus. I'm just going to go ahead and throw this next slide up here. One of the biggest misconceptions that we have in the Christian faith is that there's no real cost in following Jesus. Would you agree with that? Would you agree like, like we, we sign up for Christ and nobody tells us that there's going to be a rough road ahead? Like it's going to be rainbows and sunshine all the time. But one, that's a misconception that, 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 that we have to deal with. And following Jesus, it's always going to cost you something. But there's this idea that there's no real cost that comes with following Jesus. That there should be no pain involved. That there should be no discomfort that we ever face. And I don't know where we get that idea from, honestly. I mean, this, this fills up the, the, the health and wealth gospel. This fills up the prosperity gospel. But I, honestly, I don't know where this comes from. Maybe it's just because we want it to be like that. That, that we want there to be no pain. Because let's be honest, none of us want to walk through hard things, Right? Like, none of us want to bump into things that are going to cause us discomfort and pain, and, and it's going to bring stress to us. None of us want something like that. But when we look through the New Testament, and we read the words of Jesus, and we read the words of Paul, like, what we find is we find Jesus saying, in this life, you're going to have trouble. Huh? Take heart, I've overcome the world. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. Take up your cross and follow me. You just heard Lila talk about this about what it looks like to lay down your life and to take up his. You hear Jesus saying, when you stand before judges, what do you mean when I stand before judges? He says, when you stand before judges, don't worry about what you're going to say because I'm going to give you what you, need, what, what you need to say when it's time to have what you need to say. I mean, I'm, there's going to be times where I have to defend the faith. There's going to be times where I have to stand in front of somebody to, to tell them why, I, to give them a reason for why I believe what I believe. He says, when you stand in these moments, don't be afraid about what you're going to say. Then you read Paul and you see the imprisonments that he has. You see how many times he's, he's lashed. You see how many times he's shipwrecked as he's going to share the gospel with somebody. You see how many times he's thrown in the prison and sat there for years. You see the trials of faith that the early church goes through. You feel the trials of faith that we go through. It's obvious that there is a road that involves a level of discomfort that we would rather not deal with. But in Scripture, we're told to expect it. We're told that it's going to come. We're told to get ready for something like that. Yet somehow we still have this misconception that there's going to be no pain and no real cost in following Jesus. And so when we strip away that delusion of this comfortable life that we feel like 
we've been blessed with, what can we as followers of Jesus really expect? What can, what can we expect the road to look like? Look at verse 31 here. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, now the Son of Man is a common, the most common way that Jesus refers to himself. Um, so many times, like this is how you're going. It is him holding on to his deity, but he's also, also reaching over and grabbing the fact that he is born into humanity and that he is going to go give up his physical life on the cross to die for the world. And so he refers to himself over and over again as the Son of Man. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, that he must suffer many terrible things, and he's going to be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And so Jesus now, he's cleared one bug off of the windshield. He's saying, they now know who he is. There is no doubt who he is, and they are committed to following after him. Now he's got one more huge bug to get rid of, and that's the one that presupposes the idea that being a follower of Jesus is going to come without any pain whatsoever. And so he starts by laying this out by predicting his own death. And this is the first time that he predicts his death out of three times that Mark records in this gospel. And so he tells him, this is what I have to look forward to, and so this is what you may have to look forward to as well. Jesus knew what he was born to do. He knew why he put on flesh. He knew he was coming to the earth that he had created to die. This wasn't a surprise to him. It all started way back in the garden with Adam and Eve when sin entered into the world, and there was a rescue plan that he and his father had already put together to redeem all of humanity, but it was going to come at the price, the cost of the cross. It was going to come through his own body and through his own blood, and he knew this was going to happen. It was always intended to be that he would be the remedy of sin and death. Y'all familiar with Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is uh, one of those uh, um, passages in the prophets where you get to see this, this suffering servant. It was a prophecy about the Messiah who was getting ready to come. Uh, let me read just a few verses of this so you can see what it says. This is talking about the Messiah. This is talking about Jesus who would come. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now, if you just make a note of Isaiah 53 and you go home and you read that, and read the, the following verses, you're going to read that it gets much worse than what I just read. Doesn't, doesn't that, does that sound like a good thing here? This doesn't sound very good to us, does it? Yet as a Jewish boy growing up, Jesus had to memorize this, okay? He had to memorize this passage that was written about him, along with other great passages of the Old Testament, passages of the Old Testament. And as a young boy, as a young child growing up, he wasn't separated from his deity. He, he was still God. That never ceased to be true. And so he knows that when he reads this and he memorizes this, that this is about him. He knows that he was the man who was born to be a man of sorrows. He knows that he's going to be the one going to the cross. He knows that he's going to be the one to suffer. And all the iniquity of man is going to be laid on him. Now, can you imagine reading this 
And, and, and memorizing this and knowing that that's talking about you, this is what you have to look forward to. It, it would be like reading the coroner's report about how you were murdered, yet it hasn't happened to you yet. That's just a grisly thing to even think about. So as he reads this and he memorizes this, he knows this is about him. He is about to go down the darkest road that anybody's ever gone down. He's about to go down the darkest road that anybody ever will go down. And in this intimate moment with his disciples, his closest friends, and he's telling them, guys, I'm about to go be betrayed. I'm about to go and die. There is somebody who jumps in and just rudely and audaciously interrupts him in the middle of what he's talking about. It's Peter. This guy who just said, I've got it all figured out. I know exactly who you are. You are the Messiah. He interrupts Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 32. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him, or the word is rebuke him, for, this, for saying such things. You know what that word rebuke is? It's the same word that Jesus used when they were out in the lake and the storm was raging, raging and the disciples thought that they were getting ready to die and they were despairing of life itself. And they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus wakes up and he looks at the, the waves and he says, peace be still. And he rebukes the waves and calls the waves to go back within their boundaries and everything is peace and calm. It is a strong word. It is an authoritative word. It is a commanding word. And Peter uses this word on Jesus. What audacity. What's happening here is the one who is in authority just gets subverted, and Peter puts himself in authority. And he tries to put Jesus in his place. Now, I don't know exactly what Peter said, but it was out of line because it got Jesus' attention. And Jesus, he immediately snaps back in verse 33, and here's what he says. Jesus turned around, and he looked at his disciples. Then he reprimanded Peter to get away from me, Satan. If, you have, if you're writing in your Bible or you're writing things down, like, Underline this, circle this, highlight it, put stars around it, because this is a key verse in the book of Mark. It's a key verse specifically in this passage as well. Here's what he says. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. You're not seeing things through God's point of view. You are seeing the things through a cultural standpoint. You are seeing things through the way that you want to see things. You are not seeing things through kingdom eyes. You are not seeing things clearly the way that I want you to see things. You're only seeing a little bit, not fully seeing yet. It's the same thing that was going on with the blind man right before this. I see men walking around, but they look like trees. Jesus had to touch his eyes so that he could see again. This is what Jesus was talking about. You see a little bit but you don't yet fully see what's going on. And when Peter tries to get in the way of Jesus going down a road of suffering, when Peter tries to get in the way of the pain that's marked out for Jesus, Jesus says, don't you dare. Do not stand in the way of the road that's been paid for me. Do not get in the way. Suffering is a part of the story. Without the suffering, there can't be any salvation. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5, even though Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Isn't that interesting? That the Savior, he had to learn obedience, and the way that he learned obedience in the flesh was through suffering. Now, don't you think if, if Jesus wasn't kept away from suffering, if the King of heaven and the prize of our faith, if he wasn't kept away from discomfort and pain, then we're probably not going to have a pain-free life either. Yet isn't that when things start getting rocky? 
and people start throwing in the towel and we start deconstructing our faith. It's become pretty popular in our culture. It's when things don't go the way that we, we want them to. It's when we're not getting what we want. It's when pain begins to enter in. And what I've noticed um, is that people don't walk away when we're getting everything that we want. We don't walk away when everything is as it, we think it should be. It's when pain comes in that we start heading for the exits. Tell me if this maybe resonates with you if you've experienced this. I mean, I, I've, I've never had my kids run away when I'm handing them ice cream. Anybody, I've never had my kids run away when I'm giving them a toy or a prize. But they don't. They just they line up for that kind of stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah, thanks. You're the best in the world. I'll take that. You know what they do run away from? They run away from brushing their teeth. They run away from correction. They run away from eating their broccoli. They, they run away from doing their chores. They run away from the things that are hard for them. They run away from the things that might feel painful for them. They run away from the things that stretch them, that are there to help them sometimes. It's easy to run away from the things that hurt us and stretch us and cause us to grow. And, and, and like we want the things that are easy. We want the prize without the pain. We, we want the summit of the mountain without the climb to get there. That this is what we want. Because we're living in a, in a society today that has said, you don't want to eat your broccoli? Fine. Don't eat your broccoli. You, you want to do whatever makes you happy? Fine. Do whatever makes you happy. You want to be your own God? You want to call your own shots? You want to determine what's morally and ethically acceptable in your eyes from your human perspective? Then fine. Do that. You should do that. You want a pain-free life? Great. We should all have that. But yet Jesus is saying, your life's going to have bumps. Your life's going to have some bruises. You're going to run into some obstacles. But I promise you that I'm going to be there with you until the end. And when we get there to the end together, it is going to be beautiful. The pain that you faced is going to be nothing. It's going to dull in comparison to the things that are before your eyes when you stand beside me. So you're not going to go through this alone because there is no prize without adequate preparation. There is no summit of a mountain peak without the climb. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, don't you think that that's how we're going to learn obedience too? Through the things that we walk through? There will be no lasting comfort without the cross. We can't grow without being stretched. If we think that the road of Christianity is supposed to be marked with a painless victory, what happens when we bump into the hard things that we would rather not have? We start to question our faith. We start to, what, what did I believe in to start off with? We start to get ready to chuck it because we start to think, you know what? That's not what I signed up for. Or we just walk through this life with no real passion or zeal for the Lord. We've made a confession of faith. We, we said, that's the rock that I'm going to stand on. But we walk around like spiritual zombies, just kind of sleeping through our life that Jesus has given us. But if we expect this stuff to happen, if we expect bumps in the road, then we're ready for it when it comes. And we're able to take those things to the Lord and say, I don't like this. I'd rather not go through this. But I'm trusting that you are going to make all things beautiful in their time. So would you help me to grow along the way? Because if the misconception is a pain-free life, then what's the reality? What can we expect as followers? Jesus said, this is the death that I'm going to die. This is what I'm going to go through. I want to read this next section. And that's all I want to do, is I want to read it with you. And I just want to let it sit and soak. And so if you're a believer in here, 
I'm going to pray that these words stir an angst in you to drive a stake in the ground to say not only is he my rock and redeemer, but he's the one I'm going to live for and walk out with every day of my life. If you're not a believer in this room, here's what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you would let this word stir a hunger inside of you, an expediency in you to do business with God today and not to, not to wait. Not, not, not to wait till all the situations, right? Not to wait for all the pain to get worked out in your life or the questions to get worked out in your life. This is the reality of walking with Jesus. This is what we can expect. And, and there's no way to make this sound easier than what it is other than utter abandon to the Lord with everything that comes with it. Here's what he says in verse 34. He's been talking to the disciples. Now he turns to the crowds who are around them, either along this walk or when they've come to their stopping point. <clears throat> then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. That image there is literally taking up a cross, the, the horizontal piece of the cross that you would take to a Calvary's hill and that you would be joined in death with Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Isn't it just cool that we just had an 18-year-old up here who just quoted this version out of, out of Matthew? She said, this is a life that I'm going to live. She says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We set this up with a, a boogie windshield right? It's a picture to say there are some misconceptions that we have about Jesus. He wants you to know who he is. He is the Messiah who came and gave up his life for you, for you, so that you might know him, so that you might walk in newness of life, so that you might sit in eternity with him by his side. He gave up his life for you, so he wants to get the misconception that he could possibly be anything other than Redeemer, Savior, Christ, King. So we got to get that cleaned off of the windshield. And then he says, we've got a misconception that we've got to get off the windshield too, that we're going to walk through this life that's pain-free. Just clean that garbage off because that is not true. The road that is marked out for you as a believer in Christ is not easy, but it's glorious. The road that he has for you is paved with hard things, but those hard things help us to grow. And they point us to lean on. In our weakness, that's when we are strong, when we are leaning on him. And so he'll lead us into moments of growth so that we might know how to take up our cross. I was reading a story about salmon this week. You know what salmon do when it's time to have babies? They swim upstream. And they usually go back to the same place they were birthed from because that's a comfortable place for them. And so they, in order to go and have their babies where there's going to be new life that gets formed, they swim against the current. They swim against the grain. And it's not easy for them to get there, but they do it and they go against the grain and they go and they spawn and they have their babies. New life happens. What I'm asking 
is that we would be okay going against the grain, that we would be okay swimming against the current of a cultural tide that is moving away from Jesus and saying, you know what, everybody else might have different opinions on who Jesus is, but I'm going to stand on who the scriptures tell me Jesus is. Let's clean off our windshields. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Jeez, I don't know how long we've been up here. Um, but we've got to be in your word and we've got to hear from you. Um, I, I pray, Father, that your word does not return void and um, that if we've got brothers and sisters in the room who are just kind of like eking away at life and just assuming that everything's going to be fine and when things kind of hit and the fair weather stops, that they're prone to just kind of give in and give up, I pray that you would strengthen their resolve right now, that you would strengthen them, that they would build upon you and allow you to do some heart work in them. Father, if there are men and women and young children in the room who don't yet know you, who've never trusted Jesus, I pray that they would do business with you this morning, that they would be willing to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for the King, the one who laid down his life for me, I will give up my life for. Today, I stake my claim in the ground on Christ. So Father, would you allow men and women to do business with you on that level, we pray. And would you help us to go out and just live this life that you've called us to and just expect the things that are gonna come and that there are growing moments for us to lean into you and to trust you with. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.